Hey, everybody. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. On this week's episode, I welcome the owners of A Novel Concept, an independent bookshop in the heart of downtown Lansing, Michigan. We talk about fulfilling wild dreams like actually opening your own bookstore, what it's like to buy a literal ton of books, biblio hoarding, and a whole bunch more. Let's get into it. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really wonderful to have you here. Uh, I've got a really fun episode this week. I've got two guests at the same time. It's kind of got a local flair to it, um, but it's got, I think, a more global appeal. So I hope you'll stick around for this interview. Oh, I said the name of my band. Oops, I'm so sorry. Uh, let me get to uh, a little bit of upkeep on the week. A couple things I want to remind you of before we get into our guests. It's the usual hubbub of. Uh, what did Maddie C. Uh, do and discover and have happened this week and uh, what's going on over at the blog and that kind of thing. So uh, I'll just kind of run you through some things real quick and then we'll get into my conversation with Elise and Christine from A Novel Concept. Um, the first thing I want to do is deal with the, uh, I don't know if it's the 600-pound elephant or the 900-pound gorilla or the 1,200-pound orangutan. I don't, know, I don't know what the hell it is. But um, I wrote a piece uh, that, that was published uh oh, I don't know, a week and a half ago or whatever, that coincided with um, the release of Spotify's Wrapped 2023. For those that don't know, Spotify does a thing where they give listeners this sort of little interactive kind of video, and then at the end there's like this little card that they can use to share with people on social media, and it will give them their listening stats for the year. It will tell them how many... Uh, how many minutes they listen to or how many songs they listen to, I think. And then it'll also tell them they're like top five artists and their top five songs and those kinds of things. And it's, it is fun. It's fun. And of course, being Maddie C, I had to shit on everyone's fun and remind them that Spotify doesn't pay artists hardly anything. And so um, I wrote a piece basically saying, I don't want to shit on your Spotify wrapped, but it's important that you understand what you're paying for. And then what I did was I took my wife's Spotify stats and I broke down what she spent for our family ostensibly to be on there and what we actually used it for. And, you know, discovered that only about six or $7 of what my wife had spent uh, in, in music had actually gone to artists and it's a complicated thing. And I really encourage you to go over and read the piece. And there's a lot of, talk and discussion and a lot of information out there. And I, and I want to clarify, I don't know everything about this issue. I will also stipulate that I've done a ton of reading and research and work on this issue and I'm learning more every day and I'm trying to sort of navigate this and figure this out. This is a cause that is very important to me. And a lot of people will think, well, yeah, of course it's important to you, Maddie. This is how you make your living. No, I don't make any of my living from, from digital streaming. And I don't expect to. And I want to clarify that. None of what I am trying to accomplish with fair pay for digital streaming for music is directly related to me benefiting. I, I may benefit. 
I have not put any of my emphasis or focus or advertising dollars toward getting people to listen to my music on digital streaming. Now, that's probably a mistake on my part, but I haven't made any point of doing that. And so therefore, I don't have a lot of listeners. I don't have a lot of listeners because why would I work real hard at it when I'm not going to get paid? That's sort of my viewpoint here. Now, I also realize I am incredibly small potatoes. But I also think it's important to remember that for a lot of people, music is their primary income. And they do have hundreds and thousands of listeners who are engaging with them every month. And they can't afford to have a life where music is the way that they make their money. And I think we need to think about not just what musicians are being paid and who is successful and what it takes to be a successful musician, but if we want to enjoy the work of artists, what is their quality of life like? We want our lives to have quality because we want to be able to have basically the entirety of recorded music for the last hundred years in our pocket for a few dollars a month at any time we want it. And we can have and I think should have a, a discussion and a conversation about whether or not we're entitled to that in the first place. And I can make a pretty firm case, we're not. And I'm going to be submitting some, submitting, publishing some some stuff on this issue continually. And I want to find a way to have a conversation with people who use Spotify, people who have worked at Spotify, people who have worked in the coding industry and who are maybe involved in how some of the algorithms and things work. I want to talk to people from all angles of this thing and really learn this because this is hugely important and it's not going away. But the point is this. Spotify just posted massive profits for the third quarter of 2023. It's the first time they've posted profits in quite some time. I don't have that information in front of me, but I know it's been a while. But I want you to remember that they've still been spending money on things like AI defense contractors with names like Helsing and $100 million to hire Joe Rogan and $100 million to apologize for hiring Joe Rogan. So that right there is like $300 million right, right there. And then they give like another $150 million to the Barcelona FC. And I, I don't get to decide what Spotify does with its money, but they can't cry poor when they're spending a half a billion dollars on bullshit that doesn't have anything to do with music. So don't come crying to me when you don't make any money. That's your bad business practice. Just because you're morally bankrupt doesn't mean you can't also be financially bankrupt. Okay? Artists need to get paid and they need to get paid fairly. I just put a piece up this week where I was pretty clear about, hey, here are five things that I think we could do right now. People have already poked a hole in a couple of those and a couple of reasons that they might not work as well as I would think. Okay, these are the kind of conversations I want to have. What I don't want to do is I don't want to hear virtual virtue signaling from people that I love and people that I care about telling me about how much they spent on t-shirts and concert tickets. You're paying for merchandise and live performances, folks. What of the artist who can't get his t-shirt to you and can't tour in your neighborhood? Does he not deserve your dollars? Do you get to get his music for free because he couldn't be bothered to come to your town? No other industry works this way. Not a single fucking one. Not one. Name a movie right now. Here, I'll name one for you. I'm in a family movie club. We, meet, we, we met this past Sunday. We had to watch a movie called Life is Beautiful, a movie that I've seen before that I love dearly. I have something like seven or eight different subscriptions that I have for digital streaming for TV and movies. 
This was not available on any of them. It wasn't available on anything else. It wasn't available through Canopy in my library. It wasn't available through Tubi or Prime or Netflix or HBO or Paramount Plus or Peacock or Disney Plus or Hulu or any of that shit. And so we all paid $3.99 to rent it. And you know what? We were just fucking fine. We paid $4 to watch a movie. We were happy to watch the movie. And then we talked about it. And nobody said, oh my God, my life is over because I had to pay $3.99 to watch that movie. Maybe you don't need every record ever made for 15 bucks a month. Maybe that's not something you're entitled to. I know I'm getting bitchy about this, but we got to stop and ask ourselves, if we can't afford to pay artists fairly with what we're paying right now, we need to pay more. Maybe it needs to be a credit system. I don't know. But I know that I'm trying to come up with ideas, and what I don't want to hear is pushback of, just leave it alone. Leaving it alone is killing music, and it's killing people who make it. Now let's move on to something more fun. The Steven Spielberg finals are happening right now. Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark squaring off. I am recording this before voting even actually opens, so I I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm incredibly nervous about about this particular matchup because, A, I don't know how I feel, and it may take me all week to vote. By the way, voting is open all week, gang. Normally, voting is open from Saturday morning when I post about 6 or 7 a.m. until 6 or 7 a.m. on Tuesday, so there's a 72-hour window. This time, you're going to get a full seven days. So this thing is this thing is posted on six a, at 6 a.m. on Saturday, and then you've got until the following Saturday. So it's the 9th through the 16th you can vote. Um, so you, voting's live now. Go, go. This thing's posting on December 11th. Go, get in there. Make it happen. Uh, go vote if you haven't already. Uh, I would love to hear in the comments of that, of that article, which, again, you can find over at the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com, um, I really got fired up about the Spotify thing. I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, you can go over to the you go over to the blog over at whatamimaking.substack.com and you can take a look at the um, at the voting and you can get in there and you can not only uh, make your voice heard but you can also go in and actually comment. And I would love to hear people's sort of overall thoughts about this process, like what kind of surprised them or didn't surprise them or what did they like. And in terms of people's choices and the way that different films won over other films. And, you know, would you want to do this again? And then the other thing that I would ask is, what is your favorite Spielberg film? I know I'm giving you a lot of homework here, but essentially, which of these is your favorite and why? So after you vote, say, you know, hey, E.T. is my favorite. It didn't make the finals, but here's why. Or Close Encounters or Schindler's List or one of the two that's on, you know, uh, up for for, for, uh, the championship this week. So please make sure that you're uh, make sure you're not only voting, but that as we wrap this thing up, that you're letting us know kind of how you feel about the whole process and what you would have liked to see come out on top, and whether or not it did. Don't forget, I have a regular radio show. It's a one-hour show every Friday on the Rock in the Suburbs Radio Network over at suburbsradio.com. You can uh, check posts every week where I will put up archived archived episodes the week after they air at Suburbs Radio, and uh, you can get involved because every week before I air the show on Friday at noon Eastern, uh, before I air the show, usually on Tuesday or Wednesday of the of that week, um, 
I send out a little thing and I ask for submissions based on that theme. So make sure you're keeping an eye out for those and that you're uh, taking a look at the wrap-ups and the track lists that come out every week with the archived episodes. So you'll see two posts every week that are directly related to the radio show. So make sure you keep an eye on that. Uh, I also wanted to make sure that you all saw about my new postcard program. I'm really excited about this. I'm always a little bashful. Boy, maybe it doesn't seem like I'm bashful, but I always feel bashful inside and I always feel a little tense and anxious about the idea of asking for financial support from folks. But again, for me to be able to do this stuff, I have to make a little bit of money because I have to spend my time on it and some stuff is just physical are just physical costs you can't get around. So I wrote a piece about how I essentially need to come up with about 1500 bucks to cover vehicle costs before I leave for my tour. This will help me cover gas and things like being able to get a new set of tires before I hit the road and uh, making sure that my, you know, my brakes and, and all that stuff are, are up to speed. And then I'll have a bunch of money for fuel. Uh, so the idea is, you know, I wanted but to, to put together a sort of a, a reasonable budget. And the reason that I need this money ahead of time is not only because I'm poor, which I totally am, but uh, also because I'm going to go out this summer and I'm going to do all of these shows as a uh, donation only. And what that means is I'm not going to be doing any of these, I'm not going to be doing any of these shows where I do pre-sale tickets. And so instead of being able to go, hey, I sold 22 tickets in Pittsburgh or whatever, and I can, I can use some of that money, um, what I want to do is I want to invite as many people to these shows as possible and not put up a roadblock and not put up a financial barrier and say, come, you're welcome. Be here. And then ask them to either give me some cash or to send me some money virtually through things like PayPal and Venmo and Cash App if they enjoyed the show. And we'll have a suggested donation at, at, at each place. And we'll do our best to hit our goal, which, of course, is $20 per person and 20 people per show. And that's that's how I'm hoping to budget it. But what I'm doing in the meantime to raise a little money before I go, because, again, I'm rambling today. Apparently, I'm very excited about talking and hearing my own voice. I'm sorry about that. Uh, so this postcard program, the way that it works is for 15 bucks, you can go onto my website at phonofourrecords.com slash postcards. And you can support my tour and get me a little bit of money, help me make a little bit of cash as I try to make my way across the eastern half of the U.S. in June. And um, I will pick a postcard from one of my stops along the tour, and I will write you a little handwritten note, and I'll tell you how things are going, and I'll say, hey, from Georgia or Florida or Virginia or wherever I happen to be. And you'll even have a chance to pick an area or a region where I'm going to be along the tour and I'll grab a postcard for you from that spot and I'll send it to your house or to your office or wherever you want to get a you know bright piece of news in the mail. There's even a thing where you can do it and get five of these at a discount. Now, if you want to get five pieces of mail from me and you want to pay for it, that seems a little insane, but it might be really fun. And so I can pick up kitschy postcards along the way and I can send them to you and you can get them a few days later and it'll be like an old-fashioned way to keep up with the tour. It's also a great way to help me be out there on the road and making this shit happen. So go on over to phonofourrecords.com slash postcards and you can learn more. I also want to mention that I put up a uh, I put up a blog this week or a post on the Substack uh, called When the Doubt Creeps In. And it, it, it's kind of a hybrid post about 
me sort of noticing some of the the hallmarks of a depressive episode coming back my way. And it's also me using some tools that I've learned in the last year to fight that off. And it's been a while since I talked pretty openly about my mental health stuff. I mean, I, I know that I talk about it once in a while. For some of you, maybe talking about it a little is talking about it too much. I, I don't know. But I've been feeling pretty good. Um, as I say in the piece, you know, the last few weeks have been challenging. Um, I was without a car for three weeks as soon as we got home from what should have been my vacation with my mom to Southeast Asia, which of course did not happen. And my mom is out that money. And then I was basically here for the entirety of that time. I should have been gone and I was unable to work or go anywhere. And some feelings of sadness and melancholy and some kind of signposts of what I would call a depressive episode really felt like they were coming around. And what I talk about in the article is that I was able to use some really simple daily practices that I've put in place over the last year that are stupidly easy and really, really basic and quite frankly kind of shameful that I didn't do them every day first thing before. But I talk about basic shit like personal care and making my bed and taking my medication and brushing my teeth and starting my day in a way that I have a little bit of a foundation and it's such a small, small thing, but um, it has really been a ballast over these last couple months that have been real challenging. And um, and by the way, all of you who have been reaching out about, specifically a lot of you reached out about the trip, and uh, I want to thank you for that. It means a lot to to know that you were you were thinking of us. Obviously, we're very, very lucky. We we have a roof over our head and heat and light and clean water and food and all that stuff. Um, but it was a real blow. And, you know, it's it's been kind of a shitty six weeks, to be honest with you. Um, I am hoping that the, the, the sun is shining around the corner. Um, but it's been a it's been a challenging time. Um, I will talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and I don't want to be cryptic, but um, it's been, you know, not not easy. But these daily practices have have really helped a lot, and they've really helped to provide some, um, I guess, perspective and maybe even a little bit of focus, and I can get up and I can start my day, and I can do a couple of things, and I can know that by doing those things, I'm building a little bit of momentum. And it's really silly, and it seems, honestly, it seems kind of embarrassing as a 51-year-old man to have to admit that I still need those things to get going. Um, I feel a pretty significant amount of shame about that. Um, but uh, I'm also really proud of the fact that I've found a way to get past that and to overcome some of those tendencies and even habits that I have. Um, and and having the momentum of doing these daily practices of things like making the bed and getting fully dressed and brushing my teeth and washing my face and starting coffee and taking my meds, it's just, it's 20 minutes, um, but it makes a world of difference. And it I'll also say that this this blog and this podcast have become a daily practice too. Um, in the last 90 days, I've only missed one day where I didn't post something. And since I've made it a point to post every day, I have posted every day. And um, I'm incredibly proud of that. And I think the work is really good. And I think what I'm doing here is it, it, I am not curing cancer and I am, <laughs> I am not solving the Middle East 
crisis. But I hope I I am providing a place where people can find a little bit of community and some enjoyment and some critical thinking about some stuff that that matters at least to me and to a core group of people in my life. I'm really glad to have you here. I want to remind you, speaking of things that are community-based, one last thing before we get to the interview. Movie Club. We've got a double feature on December 13th. That's just two days from the day that this airs, December 13th. We're going to be meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Your assignment is to watch David Lean's Brief Encounter and Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, and then we're going to talk about those two films. You can go and look and see kind of a rundown back on the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com. Just search Brief Encounter, for example, and you can find that, and you can actually get a rundown of not only what to look for on those two films, but how they're connected, when we're going to meet, and a few more uh, juicy details. Nice little reminder that this show and the work I do here and at the blog are powered solely by your financial support. I'm going to say it again. I don't have any paywall up. Anybody who goes to whatamimaking.substack.com can read and listen to everything I have put up there. I am trying to keep it that way for as long as I can without putting a paywall up because I want to keep this open. But I have to find a way to generate some revenue, and you can sign up for as little as $5 a month right now. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com, sign up for a monthly, a yearly, or a founding member subscription. It makes a huge difference. The email for the show is whatamimaking at, uh, excuse me, whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. You can email me comments, questions, suggestions, and ideas, whatever else you got. Maybe you got somebody you want me to interview. You can also uh, send me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash making. And please make sure that you like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. It's super easy to do this, but it's also super important for growing the show. So let's get on to my guests, shall we? Christine Peffer and Elise Jujuga began passively discussing the idea of opening a bookshop during the early months of the pandemic. With a bit of idle time and a series of virtual hiking and book clubs that they both belonged to, the pair began to think more seriously about the possibility of a real bookshop endeavor. And then, the MSU Surplus Store announced they were selling off a literal ton of books for a very small amount of cash. Elise and Christine swooped in, bought the books for a song, and were then left to figure out what the hell to do with them all. Fast forward more than two years later, and a novel concept is thriving as a physical bookshop in Lansing's downtown neighborhood. Elise and Christine talk me through what it was like to get through those first and different stages of growth and progress, and the stuff that they've already achieved. We also spend some time talking about Dear Ollie, the stationery shop that shares space with a novel concept that's owned and run by local artist Sarah Pulver. Christine and Elise have created a much-needed community space in their shop, and are also giving back to the Lansing area with public events, readings, and book clubs, all coordinated and directed by the ladies in the store. For those not in the mid-Michigan region, we also talk about the realities of opening a local shop and ways for customers around the country to support their favorite stores, even when buying online through sites like bookshop.org. It's a fun and fascinating conversation with a pair of terrific people helping to shape our community and its culture one book at a time. Here is my chat with Elise Jajuga and Christine Peffer of A Novel Concept. Enjoy. Well, thank you so much to both of you for being here. So the first question that I would ask is, can you just each kind of really quickly introduce yourselves and... Um, 
just kind of like first and last name would be great. We can move on from there. So Elise, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Elise Jajuga. Uh, let me know if you want me to spell that. Um, uh, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. E-L-I-S-E-J-A-J-U-G-A. Awesome. And Christine? I'm Christine Pfeffer. And it's P-E-F-F-E-R. Awesome. And you ladies own a novel concept in downtown Lansing, Michigan, correct? Yes, we do. We sure do. Uh, that's that's <laughs> like, okay, this is like the most awkward. See, I this is why I don't do intros. And you have to do intros with two people because otherwise people are going to be like, who's who? What do I do? What, who's going <laughs> to talk now? So if I don't do that shit, uh, and you can't swear here because the FCC doesn't have any purview over my tiny little audience. Um, so now that we're done with the awkwardness, tell me about how a novel concept came into being. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, we have not told the story in like a minute. Um, so I believe it came into being, uh, there was a little seed that was planted during COVID. We had this hiking club that we were, um, implementing to make sure that all of our friends who were able to join us were, you know, staying mentally healthy and, um, you know, getting some fresh air and stuff during those, uh, really introverted times. And we were, Christine turned to me and she was like, Hey, have you ever thought about opening like a bookstore? And I was like, cause we also had, you know, a bunch of book clubs and stuff going during this time. And prior to that. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, actually that's <laughs> one of, uh, that's something I've been thinking about for, you know, a long time. Cause I guess who, who doesn't right? a lot of book owner or, you know, people who love books are like, I feel like have that in the back of their mind, how that would be such a romantic option. But anyway, so we had, um, you know, talked about it with our friends and we'd even gotten to the point where we were walking around downtown specifically and kind of imagining what like, a future space could look like. And we got a notification from a friend that um, the MSD surplus store was going to be selling a boatload of books for a very reasonable price. So we <laughs> ended up just buying like do you remember how much they weighed christine i think it was honestly a thousand pounds of books not including the skids um and i think it we paid what 200 bucks not even yeah it was a ridiculous deal and we had zero plan for what we were actually going to do with all these books when we when we got you know so transportation you... storage no plan for either of these. And no and no space in which to sell them. You just went, oh, a shitload of books we don't have room for. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Precisely. That and sounds like because... every biblio hoarder I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the proud father of one. <laughs> so anyway, continue. So, so you've got all these books and now you're trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with them. Exactly. We were like, oh, um, and so yeah, Christine. It was the height of summer. Yeah, it was the height of summer. We're sweating, unloading these from the back of our friend's pickup truck into Elisa's garage, uh, frantically clearing space, trying to get some semblance of order, um, in terms of genre or condition, and quickly realize like we just need to get these things unloaded because it is hot. Our friends are maybe maxed out with uh, how how many hours they want to devote to this project for, right. for the, you know, summer day. Um, and yeah, we went from there. We had the idea that maybe, uh, I think because, you know, this came about because of some pandemic uh, reclusion that we were trying to counteract. And I think our model for doing pop-ups came out of that same feeling too. Um, 
you know, a lot of local businesses were having trouble getting people back in the door. Um, and so things were just really fluid and changing in the retail scene. And so we thought, what about pop-ups? Let's bring the books to people in spaces and businesses that they're already, you know, trying to get back in the doors of um, returning to some semblance of normalcy. And so we just reached out to some of our favorite local businesses and um, had the idea that we would just pop up. We would have little mini bookstores um, in the lobby of Social Sloth Cafe or in Babe's Corner, um, the sandwich shop in Stadium District. Um, yeah. And we just, yeah, we thought it was, would be a great way to get out into the community and, and connect with folks in different spaces. Um, and, you know, what greater joy than for us, at least, as, as lovers of books, getting to walk into a business and unexpectedly stumbling upon a little bookstore that's popped up there for the day. So that was kind of where things started for us um, in summer 2021. And that was almost immediately on the heels of having all of this inventory you didn't know what to do with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely okay. on the heels of that. I think okay. that we like got that case or the couple pallets of books in June. And I think the very first picture of us unloading um, in like, you know, my driveway was like from June 6th, actually. So oh, wow. we like started doing shit immediately and we filed an LLC because I don't know. We always talk about <laughs> how we've just been like feeling like blindly throughout this entire process and flying by the seat of our pants is a phrase. Yeah. That okay. Off. I'm going to, I'm going to tie this back to one of the very first conversations I had on this podcast. It was like the second or third episode. And I had a woman on who's a friend and a, uh, she's a tax policy advocate, but she's incredibly funny. And she does this amazing writing. Like she's recapping the Republican debates right now for McSweeney. She's just incredibly smart and funny. And she said, she said, Matt, the best advice I can give you is to paraphrase Arthur Ashe. Just start. Just start <laughs> with where you are, with what you have and what you can do and do the best you can with that. And then tomorrow you'll have a little bit more. And so that is really how most amazing things get built. So starting that way is almost an asset, I think, not necessarily a detriment. Like if you had this massive plan and you had this funding and things didn't go to plan and the funding ran out, all of a sudden you'd be like, we don't have a plan B. But <laughs> when you're just kind of rolling with it and you're sort of figuring it out and you're building it as you go, you're sort of building it in a way that's more manageable. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think it, our um, following grew really organically because of that, because people kind of got to come along for the ride and watch this thing grow from those pop early pop-ups into securing a space in a little business incubator downtown called Middle Village. And so we, we kind of did three things, I think, when we first got those books. We unloaded them, we did the LLC thing, made sure we could sell these things legally, and then we started a social media presence um, and tried to just tap into the Lansing community um, and let, you know, let people know when and where we were going to be popping up, um, do fun little giveaways of some of the books, ask people what they were reading, share with them what we were reading and just build a community organically that way. Um, and and yeah, guys, I don't, did you guys build a book club out of that as well? We did. Yeah. Yeah. I was like chicken or the egg, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> but yeah, we now have a book club that's like specifically associated with the store. And um, every year we put together, you know, a Lansing Reads challenge, um, and, you know, um, looking at themes that we'd like to explore throughout the years or that we think that doesn't even make sense. I'm sorry. It's early no, on for me. It makes but, total sense. Um, not uh, say, uh, say it again, man. Yeah. Okay. So we um, look at themes that we'd like to explore on a monthly basis. And something that we think is really cool about this book club is the fact that we don't specifically prescribe titles for folks to read. We offer ideas. So everybody who comes to this book club, like, you know, brings something different that they've read. And we just kind of discuss as a group the different directions that this theme, you know, has gone in. So um, folks can you really give me an example of a recent theme and maybe a couple of titles that you would have suggested? Ooh, sure. So earlier this year, I think my favorite prompt um, is women in translation. So Elise is laughing because she, she probably knew I was going to say that one, but it was basically just a challenge for folks to find a book that was written in a different language originally by a woman author um, that has been translated into English and then to read that and bring it to the, the book club to talk about it. And so we had folks reading um, stuff that had been translated from all kinds of different world languages. And it was great to just bring everybody together and kind of share out and we come away with this awesome like to be read list from these book clubs because everybody's read something different and is either excited and add it to your list or maybe they hated it and you know you're clear from it but it's a nice way to just get a quick influx of stuff uh to add to your reading list that's amazing i love this idea i have a family movie club and i kind of love the idea that maybe instead of, because what we do is we select, there's five of us and we'll select a theme and then everybody picks a movie from that theme and we each watch it. But I kind of like the idea of saying, hey, here's the theme. And instead of saying, here's the theme and then everybody picks a movie, we all bring the same, we all, we all bring the movie we chose at the same time, like this book club. Instead of saying, because then you might have three people who choose the same film and it'd be interesting to see where the overlap is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm extrapolating too. your thing into my life and I shouldn't do that. I apologize. <laughs> but what a, what, a, what a poor interview move. Um, I do have a personal story based on that book club though, that directly affects how it works for your business. Oh, cool. I went in, in the middle of October to buy my mother a gift. And there was a lovely young woman there who helped me and forgive me. I don't remember her name. And I said, my mom loves short stories and taught Spanish. Can you help me find a book or two of short story anthologies in Spanish? And she kind of went through and helped me pick out two different titles. She actually helped me pick out like four and I had to, I had to kind of winnow it down. <laughs> and it was this, this lovely 15 minute interaction. It was such a curated and wonderful experience. And I just thought like, this is why places like this need to exist. Oh, thank you. Do you remember the title? What book did you end up with? I don't have any idea. I could not remember <laughs> it off the top of my head. There's no way. I could go back and look at my mom uh, on her bookshelf and find out, uh, which I will do. But um, I don't even know if she's read them yet. Her birthday was at the end of October, so I don't even know if she's gotten to them yet. Um, but there, you guys have an amazing collection of translated work. Was that the case before you. you chose this book club, or is that in in large part a result? Oh, no, it's definitely that prompt was definitely a function of us really loving that kind of literature um, already. And so I think that's definitely something that we've tried to 
curate a strong presence of in the shop is making sure that we're um, including titles from from different nationalities, different languages of origin and all that good stuff. There's an enormous variety of perspectives in your store. Even on the used shelves, it's pretty impressive, which to me sort of is a testament to the people who frequent your shop. Um, are you kind of surprised by the sort of the breadth and the depth of the stuff that people come in and, um, you know, trade in or, or sell? Like, I mean, there's like everything from like uh, writings on the queer punk movement to Homer to uh, the Stoics to Jane Austen. Like there's a pretty wide round of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there is. And actually, I don't know if I'd say I'm surprised by it. I feel and I'm sorry if this is a bit corny, but like more so honored by the people who like, you know, recognize these like books and other materials that they have in their house. And, you know, they're like, oh, I don't have, you know, use for this anymore. I am super honored that they come to us because they know that we will appreciate these titles and treat them with care. Um, I'm so thankful that you mentioned that. Um, aspect of curation because especially applied to our um, older and used books like we specifically take time to um, go through all of our books um, including all the ones that we've had donated to make sure that like they are appropriate for our shelves and like things that we can stand behind so um, having you notice that is very nice thank you yeah um, well I was really happy that when I was there I was able to pick up uh, first edition copies of Mein Kampf and Hearts of Heart of Darkness so that that really that really <laughs> um, built into your really built into joking. your really built into your yes I'm absolutely <laughs> joking I'm absolutely joking um uh no I what I think is really fascinating about it is that you clearly have people who they they love books so much they buy two three four copies of it and they think well I'm going to give this to somebody else and then when they don't they want it to go someplace where it's going to wind up in the hands of somebody like the person they intended to give it to. And I love the fact that you chose the phrase honored by. Like there is something so humbling about putting yourself out into the world and saying, I wanna share this with you. And because of the way that capitalism works, we have to have this financial transaction between us, but I wanna create something communal. Will you help me do that? And so, people aren't just selling a book to you. They're sort of investing in your dream in a way. And like, that's the kind of the beautiful thing. Like we, to go back to the curation thing, like I, I don't want to like give away any secrets or anything, but people could order anything in your store on Amazon and get it <laughs> shipped to their house in a day. But they're not going to know about it. And they're not going to know the magic and the beauty and the, like maybe one of those titles winds up in a book club somewhere and they find out about it. But there is a whole world. I feel this way about record stores. I spent my whole life growing up in record stores. And most of the things I love, I either got from a review in a magazine or because I liked the way a cover looked or because somebody was playing it in a record store. So those things were handed to me. and My taste was curated one interaction at a time. And now you're doing that sort of in this new era where people don't have to get their shit that way. Uh, yeah. 
you must spend a ton of time curating the store, I guess, is what I'm getting to. Can you guys tell me about what that process is like between the two of you and sort of what you focus on and where your strengths and weaknesses are, maybe, as curators? I yeah, I Sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, it's a, hold on. It's a good old-fashioned Midwestern polite off. No, no, you first. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no. Elise, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, I'm specifically laughing about process because like I said already, we like, you know, fly by the seat of our pants. So a lot of this is like Christine and I having very in real time conversations about what we think is going to work well for us. Um, Christine, I think you had something more concrete that you were going to say though. So go for it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I really appreciated what you were saying, Matt. And I wanted to kind of offer um, another perspective kind of on what indie bookstores offer that something like Amazon doesn't because I mean let's be honest the algorithm on Amazon is powerful so if oh, sure. you are looking for things in your your taste in your wheelhouse the algorithm there is going to recommend stuff to you that you'll probably end up liking um I also think that you know I give our our customers a lot of credit too in terms of being able to sift through and find the things that that mean something to them without necessarily needing a guiding hand um, or, you know, us to tell them what to read, right? But I think what you point out, importantly, is that it's that moment of connection that you can't get online or shopping with Amazon that makes all the difference. So it's, yeah, you can get the same book recommended to you by the yeah. Amazon algorithm or on Goodreads, but it's a lot different being able to walk into a shop and hear somebody else effusively praising this book and showing their excitement and their their own passion for it that really creates a different and I think more meaningful experience for you when you actually get and that to go back and to go back six weeks later and say, holy shit, you were so on the money about this or yeah. wow, I got halfway through this and I couldn't finish <laughs> it, but I'm really glad you recommended it. Here's where I thought it went sideways. And you can have a really interesting conversation about that. And then we start to, we start to put a value a little bit on the idea of community and I, I think I even mentioned this to you the first time I came into your store and I said, people want nice things where they live, but they don't always want to pay for them. <laughs> if you yeah. want nice shit, you got to pay for it. Mm. That's how the world works. And so I look at what the two of you are doing and that sort of the way you're threading that needle is really inspiring to me. Really, really. I love it. And actually... I want to kind of talk a little bit about what has become, are, are we officially calling it bookstore row now? Is that what we're, is that the, the term we're using? Yeah, I think Lansing's bookshop row has been, uh, the, the, the name has been bandied about a little bit since we started collaborating with some of the other bookstores in the area. And it's what, is it, is it five shops, ladies? Oh gosh, let's see. So there's three in rio town because it's basically because there are other shops in town too that right 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 but it's all just this on one strip, it's but. literally just one street i mean it's yeah yeah south washington avenue through rio town and then up into downtown where it turns yeah. into south washington square so we've got us in summit downtown and then we've got uh wayfaring booksellers in the rio town marketplace robin book yep. um in front of the robin theater and dead time stories um and those are kind of the main or sorry, the main five um, on the bookshop row. But then we also okay. collaborate with other shops in town that aren't located on that exact strip. But 
Yeah. And this is a, I mean, this is a thing that has really kind of cropped up in the last two years. I mean, you guys yeah. are, you guys are two years. Robin's been doing this for what a little, I mean, Dylan's been doing that for a little over a year. Dead time stories has been there maybe pre COVID. Cause they moved in after Heather from record lounge moved out of that shop. I don't mean to get too Lansing specific for our audience, but these are all in essence, these are all new almost all new shops, so to speak. And you're already collaborating with each other. I think that's incredible. Uh, speaking of collaboration, how, how, uh, who would like to talk about your, uh, your office mate that, that, that hangs out in the back and does some cool stuff? Oh, that little gremlin, that yeah. beautiful soul. Yeah, no, she's, uh, she's amazing. Um, Sarah of Dear Ollie and Co. Uh, runs the stationery shop in the back of the store, and she sells everything from you know cards, wrapping paper. Um, what's that tape called, Christine? Was she be tape? Washi tape. <laughs> Washi tape. Okay, I think I was getting it confused. My girls, like, my girls love this shit. Yeah. I don't have any idea what it means, but I had never it. heard of it before. Um, but yeah, like Elise said, Sarah's always bringing in cool, really neat products. Um. um and she does so much of her own stuff. It's really incredible. And the fact that you guys have got this lovely little sort of symbiotic relationship is really, um, you have uh, not just the day that I came and got stuff from my mother, saved my ass on many a late gift giving occasion. I'm sure I will see you again right around the 22nd of December. <laughs> Dude, can you imagine how awesome it is working at a shop that also has a shop in the back that provides wrapping paper and cards? Like, how often are you like last minute, like, holy shit, huh? I need to like get something? Like, we just like drop over and hey, presto, it's there. And it's um, really cool shit. I yeah. also, and yeah, I also wanted to plug too really quick. Like, uh, Sarah is an amazing community artist as well. Um, I think, you know, Matt, she's like done like a ton of mural work uh, for strange matter and other small businesses around, yeah. the city. but like, if you happen to pop into any one of the local businesses that like, you know, a lot of our community frequents, um, you're almost sure to find something either carried by that shop or, you know, a piece of her art on the walls. Like, it's like just amazing the presence that she has in this community. And we are and so stoked about she's it. young oh my god she's yeah so young like i don't want to sound like an old man but like she's so <laughs> far ahead of me like yeah i i actually there are a number of really impressive young entrepreneurs in lansing there's something kind of cool happening um i don't know if it's all happening through that um what's the name of that Elise? you said it earlier uh the village thing oh maybe, village no christine said it i'm sorry oh that's okay we uh we're, we're interchangeable one brain yeah. happily <laughs> yeah we, honestly we do have kind of a weird high uh, yeah i got it I, yeah um i'll invite you out for a drink sometime with with my bandmate jeff from the stick rounds and you'll see you're like oh <laughs> this is this is the healthiest marriage that either of you have ever had <laughs> um so i guess my question is kind of as you look at the future like Clearly, the world is is moving more and more toward convenience as the preferred outcome, right? Like we're eschewing, uh, most of us anyway, are sort of eschewing personal choice, leaving it up to the algorithm. We're kind of floating along and we're spending our money wherever we need to, to kind of get the things that are there in front of us. And you're offering this experience where if people are willing to get out of the car and step through the door, they can kind of get shown a new world. 
So do you see that new world changing or shifting at all? Or like, do you have, do you have plans or goals as this thing kind of rumbles forward? Can I say something really quick? Because I feel like what's happening right now is really similar to the ebook um, explosion that we saw back in like 2007, 2008, right? And I remember being very aware of that at the time because I was working um, at my first real job at like a publishing company. Um, and I remember being so fucking pissed that ebooks were even in the like the ether because, you know, it was like putting myself and my friends who worked in print journalism and like all these other print, like, you know, um, spaces, like it felt very real and threatening to us. Um, but I would like to point out that um, after a few like type, like, you know, months, years, whatever it was, ebook sales plateaued, right? And you see this resurgence of folks coming back to like, you know, these independent spaces. Um, especially now. So, I mean, we, I feel like this momentum is just like incredible. And um, I feel like even more avenues are going to be opened up. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I'm assuming to you're referring to like AI and all these things that like are creeping into our well, life. I, I think more what I'm thinking about is from the standpoint of like, I, okay, so AI is a good thing. I wrote about this last week on the blog, but like, I think one of the things we haven't thought about is that probably the most likely short-term outcome of artificial intelligence is that the things that we already hate are just going to get worse and they're going to show up more in our life. So the way I put it was right now, the next step is it's basically going to become the op automated operator for everything. So every time we have a question about something, there will be some automated process. Like if you try to call your credit card company or call your mortgage company and make a payment over the phone, seriously, do it. Don't do the auto pay. Don't do the thing where they just take it out of your checking account every month. Call them and try to make a payment. And they're going to they're gonna send you through a million different hoops before you can talk to anybody if you have a question. And then if you want to make a payment, they're going to charge you to make a payment on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about how do I make this so that a human doesn't have to touch it and I can make it as cheap for me as possible and as profitable on the other end for myself. And we're doing that with virtually everything. And what's going to happen is I think we're going to reach a breaking point where people are going to go, I don't want any of this. I mean, you're already kind of seeing people who are kind of pushing away and going, all right, I want to buy vinyl records and I want to buy physical books. And I think there's a middle ground, right? Like I'm having this big debate with, with friends and, and people in the music industry about Spotify right now because they just don't pay enough. But I'm not trying to like recreate a world where everybody has to buy actual records. I think I don't I don't know if you've changed your opinion, at least. I don't know that I necessarily have a problem with ebooks having a place to exist. Right. Like I think about the environmental benefit of not making a bunch of books that are never going to get read and used or they get read once and they get set aside. and They have to be recycled like that's a lot of trees. Right. Is there a way we can take some of that stuff and take it out of the physical space? Oh, um, yeah, I definitely think that these things can coexist, right? Yeah. I think that there is something to be said to the service aspect and the community aspect of um, interacting over like a physical copy of a book rather than, you know, something that you're packing in your um, tote bag to bring on an airplane, per se. Right. Now, yeah. and this gets back to what we were talking about before we even started, which is folks who are listening to this who live like I, for whatever reason have a number of listeners in Ireland. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> so if someone who is in Dublin right now wanted to buy a copy of a book and they wanted to support your shop, they could do that at bookshop.org, yes? 
Yes. Yeah, they sure could. And they could they could do that through the states. And and we would encourage anyone and everyone who needs to gift give and is going to buy books to to go to bookshop.org and make sure that you choose the the a novel concept store. We want to make them make them do that so that you can make a little money, <laughs> uh, and keep keep your store going. But my point is, isn't there if there's a way to do that? Is there a way right now for customers to buy an ebook through you? That is. Or do they have to buy a physical book? There's well, they don't have to buy a physical book. We don't currently have a partner for uh, indie ebook selling, but we do work with Libro FM for audiobooks. Um, so if folks okay. are audiobook readers, yeah. that's another fantastic way to um, you know consume the media that you want to consume. And we have a partnership with Libro FM that basically works the same way that bookshop.org does. Yeah. And like, this is the kind of stuff where I feel like these are the kinds of partnerships that if we can find a way to make them grow, we can have that coexistence that Elise and I were just talking about, where we can have this yeah. world where we can, we can have a physical space that has physical books and real people that can curate it. But then there's also a way for it, for it to deliver non-physical product and still generate revenue for you. Where there's a yeah. way to kind of to kind of share that revenue across the chain, and I hate being so like pragmatic about the money, but like, you know, I've also been in a situation where you own a business and you don't know how rent's going to get paid, you know, or how you're going to keep the lights on. Um, do you? What is your? What is your customer base like right now, and how has that evolved over the time that you've been open? Hmm. That is a really good question. Um, a lot of our customer base, like, um, I feel like it's really helpful sometimes to look at this in terms of socials too, um, like our social media uh, followings and stuff like that, because that is where we promote most of our activities and like, um, you know, our store in general. So I would say a lot of our audience is like 18 to 45, um, probably skews heavily toward um, folks who identify as women. Christine, yeah, would you say that? Yeah, right? yeah, I would agree with that. And I think these are people who are the ones who would rather have that personal connection with the, the materials that they're purchasing. Like I think, you know, Matt, you pointed out that there's a whole contingent of people who are going to, when possible, choose the more convenient option. And they're going to have the thing shipped to them from whatever big box aggregator is out there online. Right. We all know the big one. But I think people are kind of, a little getting a little bit tired of being so alienated from the mechanism by which they acquire the things that they want or the things that they want to give to people. Um, and so I think by just removing one of those layers um, and having your your books purchased at an independent bookstore just again makes you feel more connected to your community and where the the money that you're actually spending on that book is going. Right. And, and so and we have a small staff. We employ you know, one lovely store manager, um, in addition to Elise and myself, um, Jaden does a fantastic job with working with customers. She's probably the one who recommended those books for your mom's gift. I'm so sure she was. Shout out to Jaden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the, the dollars that people are spending on those books are staying here in the community. They're supporting, you know, our efforts to keep providing the kind of programming and community building that we want to be doing. And Christine, I, I think, like you were talking about the sort of the community building aspect of it. And to me, I think a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that that's part of what we're investing in when we buy a product from a physical store, right? 
we are, we are not just saying, I want this store to exist, but I want this community and this space to exist. Right. Um, are you guys, are you guys still on, or were you ever on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Oh God, we begrudgingly dabble. <laughs> okay. So I still have a profile, but I haven't really used it much in the last several weeks. And it has as much to do with what a shitty space is it has become as it does with the asshole who owns it. And so for me, it's not, I'm not mad that, uh, that, that, I mean, I'm angry that that asshole owns it. I'm angry that he ruined it. I'm angry that he ruined this sort of curated community that I had built over years and that it was an impermanent thing. And when we come right down to it, what I invested into it was time but I never invested any of my money and I never gave anything to Twitter other than my information, which was our agreement. They had any reason to owe me anything to say, yeah, we should keep this going because Matt's been a loyal customer. I'm just a user. There's a difference. (laughs) You know, I don't think people want to be users to get to your point, Christine. I think people want to be customers and they want to be partners and they want to engage with the people. Look, I don't need to spend a lot of time researching light bulbs. I know the light bulbs I like, and I know the light bulbs I don't like. I often still order the ones I don't like by accident because um, I'm an idiot. Uh, you know, those really harsh ones that make you feel nauseous. Um, but I don't, so I don't mind ordering that through the big aggregator. I don't mind. I mean, I don't love giving that guy my money, but whatever. Like basic commodity stuff. Fine. But are you going to buy like a really nice sweater for the Christmas party on Amazon? No. You're going to go somewhere where you can try it on and make sure it looks good. Now, if that's good enough for a piece of clothing, how is that not good enough for a book or a record or a film? Yeah. And, you know, I think to your earlier point too, or your earlier question about what does the future look like for shops like ours um, as aggregators get savvier and as they get as they get an even broader reach, right? Which how, I don't even know how that, a broader reach is possible for them at this point, but I'm sure they'll find a way to broaden it. But we've also seen, you know, and maybe I'm showing a little bit too much of myself in this comment, but we've seen the labor movement really popping off this year. And I think people are just sick and tired of corporations taking their data, taking their humanity and profiting off of it. Um, and I yeah. don't think that I think that that bodes well for the future. I mean, I do think there's obviously a lot of um, tough sled in the head, but I think oh, that sure. this is an indication of what people, you know, the consciousness that we're kind of stepping into. Um, in so use the use the really beautiful word there, consciousness. I when I started this whole thing, one of my things was to try to live a life with a little bit more intention, not to get all thorough about it and live more deliberately in the woods by myself and be a crank. But like to think about the things that I did, how the tiny little small things that I did added up, right? And this is an example of that. If I'm going to go spend $23 on a new book and I'm going to order that online and it's going to cost me $23, whether I order it from you or the big A or somebody else. And I know that I want to support this shop that is in my area and I don't know. I'm sure there are thousands of stores that participate with bookshop.org and there's one near you when you're listening right now. 
All it takes is 30 seconds of research one time, and then you know every time you need to buy a book. Every time you hear somebody on NPR going, hey, here's this book from this author, you should get it. And you go, oh, I had to buy that for my dad for his birthday. Support a local store. It's that simple. Can I ask a question? And I don't want to yeah. like pry too much, but like, that's not an insignificant uh, purchase, I would guess. When somebody orders that through bookshop.org, that does genuine good for your business. It's not like some pittance. Yeah, I mean, it does genuine good for our business, um, okay. regardless of whether or not the purchase is supporting our store, because even if it's made supporting another shop, there are two points of the year where bookshop.org does profit sharing for all the indie bookstores who will have an affiliate partnership with them. So they're oh, giving wow. back regardless. And so it's the work that they're doing is really amazing. Um, and even beyond that, they're doing some really fantastic work in the publishing industry too. So they just, I think it might've been their first book that they've published under their imprint of bookshop.org as a publisher. Um, but Lydia Davis, who is a pretty famous and fantastic essayist and fiction writer, just published um, a book of short stories with them called Our Strangers. And she published it through bookshop.org. And as a result, it is not available on Amazon and it is not available at places like Barnes and Noble. It's only available through Indies and it's only available through bookshop.org. And so when you have this kind of coalition of bookshop.org and indie bookstores, and now maybe even these big name authors kind of coming together to try and make a difference, I think that's going to be super powerful and essential to all of our survival. Um, and this forward. ties right back into the stuff you were talking about, how about how this is so closely linked to the labor movement. You know, I mean, I don't mean to keep harping on the the Spotify thing, but like, you know, I wrote a piece on Friday about the Spotify rap sensation. And I was like, this is where your money actually goes. And a lot of my friends got really defensive and really upset. And it basically fell into two camps of this is what the deal is. Get over it. Or I buy a lot of vinyl and I, and I buy a lot of T-shirts and I go to a lot of shows. Right. And that's great. But if I got all of David Sedaris's work for free, if I could read all of those books for nothing and he got fractions of a penny every time I read a page, let's say. But I could pay $80 to go see David Sedaris give a reading at Wharton. I'm not paying $80 for David Sedaris's work. I'm paying to see him speak. He's giving me his lifetime's work for free. Yeah. Right. And like, I think we've in this convenience con, which is kind of what I'm calling it, like we've lost the there's a disconnect now between the things that we get so easily and the labor and the sweat that actually goes into them. Like, OK, so both of you, both of you teach. And I think in having talked, you don't both teach. You're both at you both work at the university. I apologize. Oh, um, and 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 I think from talking to both of you, you're both writers. Okay. Um, I have never in my life tried to write a novel. Have either of you accomplished this or tried? <laughs> tried <laughs> is an interesting word. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I, here's the thing. I've made records. I've made short films. I've staged theater productions. I've done a lot of weird creative shit just because I wanted to. Never once in my life did I have the moment of hubris where I went, I could write a novel that people would actually want to read. Not once, not for 30 seconds. Because I can't imagine a more difficult artistic endeavor than that. And the idea that that doesn't have value is so offensive to me. 
Agreed. Yeah. Um, no, I was just thinking about how, um, how valuable that is just because, I mean, I was imagining, first of all, like, you know, what I would be writing if I were like working on a novel. And I mean, you are putting so much of your time and yourself into it. And recently we've been, um, trying to do more, uh, open mics. Um, actually I say that we've only really done one associated with an author event, um, a local launch. And it's like, that kind of event and that kind of space really makes you think about how valuable people's how valuable people's work is in that sense like it's such a vulnerable it's so vulnerable whether you're reading it out loud or whether you're writing it on a page right and i think that we're also paying for that kind of like sharing in a sense um and i'm not even sure if i'm saying this correctly but i just don't think you can put like any kind of real price point. <laughs> I mean, saying that we do um, <laughs> on people's. <laughs> and, and we do have to, I mean, I guess we do have to have like a, let's set a transactional value for this so that the listener can have an investment and the creator can make a living. I mean, that's essentially, if we do it right, that's the best balance we can strike. And I, I hate it. I, I don't want to go back to like the medieval days where like we have to wait for the Medici's to like, you know, sponsor us. But at the same time, you know, the, the the melding of capitalism and art has always been tenuous at best. Um, and so I again, I think it's artful the way that the two of you have sort of navigated a space that creates community that sort of engenders this really kind of explorative belief system of finding new work and listening to new voices. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. I know one of the things we talked about that's very Lansing specific is that you have this impending construction that's going to happen in downtown Lansing. Oh yeah. We're yeah. delighted. Um, so let's, let's do a couple things here. Let's, let's cover this for our, our area listeners. And this will be good lessons for me so that I know what to do <laughs> under this, under this dire situation. And then secondly, we can, we can, <laughs> we can roll back to telling people, Hey, uh, more reason to buy shit on bookshop.org so yeah. that you can weather this storm. So what's going to happen with this construction? Yeah, well, so I think it's also important to note that like it's even for folks who aren't in the area, this is kind of an interesting little story about um, a, a local kind of downtown who's been trying to recapture uh, some of its you know, former glory, right? And and be able to sustain the businesses that are down there and has really been making significant progress over the last couple of years to revitalize and support small businesses. And I think a lot of other small, maybe capital cities in the Midwest even, or even maybe broader out can kind of recognize themselves in that a little bit. And also could certainly then understand the intense frustration that we feel at this impending construction project. So what's going to be happening is uh, next year between March and November, is what we've been told so far. Um, the city is going to be ripping up two blocks of South Washington Square. So not going to be traversable. The storefronts will still be accessible on the sidewalks and the side streets will still be open. But the, for, I think it's the 200 block, which is our block. And then, gosh, at least remind me, is it the 100 or the 300? I think it's also going to be getting 300 blocks getting ripped up as well. Okay. So they're, they're separating the sewer line um, from the water line is kind of this project that's been in the work in the planning stages for years as we've been given to understand it. So it's ultimately going to be great because they're going to rip up all the old cobblestone that 
and not even really cobblestone it's more like pavers and so i don't want to sound like oh the history of the street yay we're ripping no it it's, it's really it's, a nightmare <laughs> and here's the thing it's also not um it's also not that old that okay. was yeah okay see, so <laughs> so i'd have to i'd have to go back and look specifically but the stories that i have heard are um right after world war ii general motors paid millions of dollars for cities like lansing like mid-sized cities to tear up public transit so that used to have rail car line that went down the middle of it so they ripped all that out to take out the rail car line and then they put in new pavers and they basically put in fake cobblestone so what's there is 80 years old 75 years old it's not that big a deal you know um and it's a pain in the ass to drive on. It's terrible. Again, I don't want to get too Lansing specific, but people <laughs> like people like going downtown. No one likes driving downtown. Yeah. And to, to get to your point, Christine, Lansing is a city that in the in the post-war years really boomed. Like in the 50s and 60s and into the early 70s, like it just it was with GM, the university, and the state government, like Lansing was just a boom town. And there was a bunch of stuff happening downtown and then the late seventies hit. And then thank you so much, Ronald Reagan. And here we are. Right. But you're right that we're, we're starting to kind of rebuild it. And I, I am seeing kind of this same sort of force happening. Like I was just in Madison a few months ago and hold on. Someone's trying to call me. No, <laughs> sorry about that ladies. Uh, and I noticed some, I noticed some stuff going on in Madison. that was very similar. A lot of like, a Clearly, that was an area where, like, not a lot of people were going for, like, independent stuff. Excuse me, for, like, chain stuff. Because all of the places where real estate was expensive was where the chains were. So they were out in the burbs and out near the malls and strip malls. And then over the last 10 years, people have moved back downtown because nobody was downtown. You know? And and now, like, you've got this resurgence in Rio Town. You've got what they're doing in downtown. You've got this thing that's been going on for 20 years in in old town i mean lansing's really kind of on an upswing in the last five years don't you guys feel that yeah, yeah we do i think and i mean that was part of like the that's part of our momentum in wanting to you know carry our store forward um you know because middle village was pretty much very much an incubation space and that was where we kind of had the the time to decide and the experience to decide whether or not this would be feasible going forward so um and like part of like our want in doing this was like to help support the revitalize revitalization of downtown like it's like super important to us and something we really really believe in so yeah it's especially disconcerting that um this street project is coming in at this time when it feels like everything like you said matt is on such an upswing so um so we I mean, are, I mean, do you? Th- I mean, obviously, there's limited education we can do here, but I mean, is that going to be the key? Is it going to be just the next four months or whatever are going to just be nonstop, making sure everybody knows that this is going to be an issue for nearly a year? That. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be an outreach effort, and it's also going to be us trying to just be as nimble as possible with finding other ways for people to get to us. Um, you know, whether that's clearing out our back halls to make sure that we have another access point um and also just potentially ramping up some remote efforts of delivering books to people which was something that we used to do back when we were still doing pop-ups and wanted to just create more opportunities for people to get books from us that they needed or wanted um and so ramping up some of those efforts and just getting creative again 
Um, but I do think that outreach is going to be our our biggest help in that. And collaboration too, right? Um, so Christine mentioned activating our back alley space, which is um, a initiative we're talking about doing with Summit um, as well, just two shops down. Um, we're talking about ways that we can collaborate with one another to try to like, you know, bring folks into this <laughs> graveled up downtown version that we're imagining. Um, right. Another, uh, we're also thinking about like, you know, some other kind of cool strategies that Christine like mentioned. Um, we're going to dip our toes into possibly like subscription boxes. Um, that would be kind of a monthly initiative. Um, we're just discussing that right now, but we've also expanded like some of our program offerings, including like um, writing workshops and whatnot. Um, we oh, were, wow. yeah, we were super thrilled because last um, fall we hosted a fairy tale writing workshop um, with local author Ben Curl that actually went really, really well. And we've received like a ton of positive feedback and interest in folks looking to, you know, um, have more of a shared writing community in the downtown area. So um, we're That's also awesome. about expanding programming around that to include um, potentially, you know, writing groups uh, once a month, um, just kind of different activities to keep like our community intact um, and to build on it, of course, and to just offer more spaces for people to collaborate within one another or <laughs> yeah, within one another, with one another as well. <laughs> uh, I, again, it's that idea of if you're going to have a space like this, build a community. Because otherwise it doesn't matter, right? You know, I got this advice from my friend who said, you know, just start, just start with what you have. Well, that's great. And, and I did, and I started to do good work and that was awesome, but I could have done great work every day, all the time and done the best work in the world. But if it was all in a vacuum, it'd be pointless. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you can go out and I mean, you could be Amazon or Walmart or whatever, and you could sell a bunch of widgets and it doesn't matter if they're books or tires or t-shirts you know those people don't care they just want to move units you're here to move minds not to get corny but like you're moving something much more fundamentally important and i just i as as somebody who lives in your community i thank you for that thank you for saying that yeah, yeah. i would also add too that like you know this is a blip on the radar right we don't anticipate our this construction project, I mean, it's going to be a significant portion of next year, but the whole point of building community is that we're planning on sticking around for a while and becoming, right. you know, an institution in town, in the community. So we're going to weather next year and then we're going to be back and people are going to be able to access uh, the storefront apparently in a much more um, easy, I guess, easy to access way. The parking situation can't get worse. That's all I know. The it parking just, oh, situation yes, it can. can only get better. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, it could. It would require a real level of genius and evil that I don't know anyone possesses to make it worse. Well, they are considering, I'm just going to throw it out there because this came up again last Friday and it's a wider known initiative than I realized. Um, they are considering <laughs> making all the um, slanted crossway parking right now uh, parallel downtown. Mm -mm, um, yeah, let's, uh, well, let's not do that. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story. My wife, who I love dearly, has um, 
has one rule to parallel parking. That, that rule is find another place to park. <laughs> yeah. Um, hang on, guys. My battery is about to shut down. Because oh, I'm, no worries. Yeah. Be right back. No, no, no. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, wait, Maddie, Elise said she'd be right back. Well, she, she did come right back, and it, it took a few minutes, and by then, we'd kind of, Christine and I had kind of meandered our conversation into a, a different idea, and we got really excited kind of talking about a new idea that the two of us could collaborate on, but we're not really ready to publicly share it, and then it was difficult to find a way to tie it back into the original conversation and, and make it all wrap up together, so it seemed appropriate that with a really bad and awkward intro, the only way to make that even out was to have a really bad and awkward outro. So there you go. Two wrongs do make a right, my friends. Don't forget, come on over to whatamimaking.substack.com. Sign up for a free or a paid subscription. You're right in the app right now. Like, rate, and review it. Did you enjoy this episode? Go, go tell the little algorithm thingy. It really helps me. I'll see you over on the blog. I'll see you soon. Don't forget about the radio show every Friday at noon. Archived episodes show up the next week. Voting Steven Spielberg thing. I love you. Bye-bye. uncomfortable introduction and a real awkward outro from Medicine and his ADHD and shit.